Blog Talk Radio. And then we'll get right to Jack. He's got a a busy day. Actually, everything is busy until Election Day itself. Um, As I wrote in the newsletter, we have a very interesting cast of characters running for mayor. And it would certainly make an interesting Broadway show in itself. In my opinion, one of the more solid candidates, Jack Hittery, doesn't have a background in politics, interestingly, pretty much at all whereas the others, of course, do. And this may be, in fact, a tremendous advantage. What he does have, however, is an extensive background in business and in entrepreneurship, as well as a background in neuroscience and philosophy, all of which I think are excellent disciplines to have for entering the political arena. Jack, you have an interesting background in everything I just said, plus you're a Brooklyn boy. You were raised on Ocean Parkway in a nice Jewish community there, and you know the city, I would say, pretty much inside out, having had great-grandparents who came to Ellis Island as immigrants, and this has really been your home. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Of course, it's great to be with you. 
Uh, and as Great you say, to have you. Thank you. I was born in Brooklyn. Uh, born in, uh, I was actually born in Brookdale Hospital in Brownsville, and then grew up on Ocean Park Green Kings Highway. It was a wonderful place to grow up, a strong community. Yeah. Uh, we didn't necessarily have a lot, but it was uh, great to be part of a strong community and to see how people can invest in their neighborhood, invest in their community, and the, the, the really central power and uh, benefits offered by a community center, as an example, that we had in our community there. So it was really a wonderful While experience. While you were growing up. Lot. Yeah. Yeah, when I was yes, about 12, exactly. 13 years old, they built a community center near me, so it was really great to see the change before and after, and really taught me a lot about the kinds of things that we need to do in New York City to make sure we continue investing community all across New York City. Now, before we jump into New York City, let's just get a little bit more of a handle of what your background is, since it really isn't politics. But you've had your hand in different kinds of public service arenas all the that, while, that's anyway, and how did you make a, a good sum of money that is largely um, backing your, your race here? Well, I was very fortunate to be born into a family, an immigrant family. We came to this country. My grandparents came here, and a small business all around. My grandfather had a small business, my dad, my mom, my uncles. And so pretty much the price of admission at the dinner table, Mitchell, was a small business. I knew from an early yes. age I wanted to become an entrepreneur, wanted to start companies, and uh, was really fortunate to have the opportunity to start a company. Uh, my company focuses on the needs of uh, technologists in the IT sector and uh, was really fortunate enough to build that company and to take it public and to run that company on the public stock exchange and get a wonderful experience in terms of all aspects of New York City, in terms of our yes. various sectors, the financial market, it's a lot of things that drive New York City. Uh, but yes. uh, after a few years of running that, I did turn a lot of my attention to nonprofit public service, as you're mentioning. Uh, in particular, I was so fortunate to have people mentoring me, helping me with my business. I wanted to turn around and help other people help start their businesses. And so I got very involved in micro-enterprise, micro-finance, which, as your listeners may know, is very involved in, in finding low-income individuals who are not banked. They cannot get loans from the banks. And so we go in, help them create their business plan, and help them start their own business. This was a wonderful experience to see the transformation in people's lives when you can help them start their own company. I also spend yes. a lot of time on the environment. Um, as you may know, in 2005, I worked with David Yasky working on the new hybrid taxi law, which we passed. And that's why you see so many, the majority of taxis now are hybrid, low emissions taxis because of that law and also saving money for the owner. Well, what actually happened there? Give us a little idea of what you accomplished there. Sure. Uh, well, it was a very exciting moment when um, – in 2005, I was speaking to a lot of taxi drivers and realized that uh, they're actually small business people. Many people taking taxis yeah. don't realize that. But, but as you know, 8,500 of our taxis are owned and operated by the people you see driving them. And as yeah. gas was rising, they were losing money. They had to put out of pocket yeah. to pay for those for the fuel, as well as the drivers in the fleets as well. So what we mm -hmm. found is that it was actually illegal for them to buy clean, high-mileage cars, hybrid cars. The rule specified that they had to buy Crown Victorias, which are 11 miles a gallon, and really old technology. And so uh, David Yasky and I championed a new program that said, we've got to offer choice. We've got to break that monopoly and offer choice to the taxi drivers to uh, 
select and buy any one of these high-mileage hybrid cars that also, by the way, have a great benefit to our environment in terms of air quality. As you know, our kids, particularly in New York, suffer from a lot of asthma and respiratory diseases, many sure. times that of the nation. And one of the reasons for that is emissions from cars. So here was a double benefit, a benefit to the taxi drivers and also a benefit uh, to the public in terms of air quality. And by the way, also help you know keep taxi rates down because of the savings to the taxi drivers themselves. We have exactly. a lot of opposition. And they have such a thin margin anyway in exactly. making money. Everything is almost on the tip. And then yeah, that yeah. un- becomes unfair to the customer. Exactly. So uh, right. there was yeah. a lot of opposition to our program initially. But what I did is I went out to the street. We spoke to literally thousands of cab drivers, took taxi rides, many, many taxi rides, thousands of them, my staff and myself. Yeah. And we, we uh-huh. shared with the taxi drivers what benefit there would be to switching from the Crown Victoria to the high-mileage cars and including, by the way, the Ford Escape. So it was cool is that Ford was making the Crown Victoria, but then they started to ramp up sales of the Ford Escape given our program. So it, we, we showed that Excellent. business can also benefit, but also we can benefit the people at the same time. And we got exactly. that path. Well, that's really the paradigm. Yeah. yeah. That's so really the paradigm, just, and I'm yeah. glad to exactly. hear that. I'm sorry? Yeah. But I was going to say, though, so, you know, yes, I come to the table with a lot of good ideas, but also as somebody with a track record of implementation, somebody who can unite Indeed. people, somebody who can bring people together, somebody who can say, let's look at small business, let's look at entrepreneurs, let's look at communities, let's bring everyone together to find the solutions we need to the major issues facing our city today. Well, I'm very pleased to hear that because I, I think that's one of the things that made Bloomberg successful to the extent that he was. It was a focus on small businesses and empowering them. And if people could only understand that business is actually a powerful tool for transformation of a community and for individual families, there it is. And if business is being used for the benefit of the community and, of course, a family or an individual, you've got a real power tool in your hand. And the problem, I think, really shows up, Jack, in that the very super wealthy are always trying to marginalize small business. And unfortunately, I think Mayor Bloomberg played way too big a role in helping his Wall Street friends and his uh, landlords across the city, which ultimately marginalize the middle and lower classes. Even the middle class cannot afford to live in New York hardly anymore. I'd love to well, know what well, you would do yeah, about sure. that. that he's, well, got first, the, he's got the board stacked, the rent stabilization board stacked against the people. Well, yeah, yeah, first, let me first address what you said about small business because you're absolutely yes. correct. Small business is where job growth is. Job growth does not really come from big you business. Bet. It comes from small business. But in the last five, six years, while, well, yes, there has been good economic development, it's been too focused on too small a part of New York City, namely downtown Manhattan, midtown, and parts of downtown Brooklyn. I come from the outer part of an outer borough, from Coney Island in Brooklyn. I need to make sure, we need to make sure, we as a city need to make sure that we now develop the other parts of the city, all five boroughs. We need to bring out small business services, Mitchell, to all parts of the city, not just to a handful of parts. That's critical to expand their economic base. If you're an entrepreneur living in Jamaica, Queens, I went out to Jamaica the other day, 
I met 20 food entrepreneurs. They have wonderful products they want to make for the marketplace. They want to sell it to Whole Foods and other markets. They don't have the proper commercial kitchen there to share as a workspace and to make their products and sell it. I want to create food incubators. I want to create shared workspaces. Uh, do that with the private sector. Uh, real estate wants to help make these. We need to identify the zones around New York City where we can help young entrepreneurs, any kind of entrepreneur, immigrant entrepreneurs, come and realize the American dream. Right now, it's too concentrated, too concentrated in too small a part of the city. It's really important we actually bring it out to all five boroughs. But we also have to recognize that not everyone necessarily wants to start a company. Many people want to join a company, but they don't necessarily have the right skills to do so. So we need more yeah. adult training. We need, it's very important. Right now, again, a lot of that training is in Flatiron, it's in Chelsea, it's in a couple of parts of Manhattan. We need to offer that in community centers, community centers like JCH at Bay Parkway and Kings Highway, community centers mm -hmm. in Queens. There's a, there's a YMCA, Mitchell, there's a YMCA that's still being built for six years now in Far Rockaway, an area, as you know, was very hard hit by Hurricane yeah. Sandy. They need sure. this community center. That would be a great place to offer not only family recreation, not only after-school programs for kids, but also job training to get people back in the workforce. You know, our workforce is going through a major upheaval right now. Technology is changing things. Global economy is changing rapidly. things. We Rapidly. Rapidly, every one of the sectors of New York City, healthcare, financial services, the restaurant industry, every single one is going through rapid change. We need to provide the adult training necessary to get people back on their feet quickly, back into the workforce. If they want to start a company, let's make that easy for them. If they want to get back into the workforce, if they've been displaced, let's get them the training necessary. Now, again, we've seen good results in a handful of parts of the city, but it's been uneven. There are haves and have-nots. We need to bring that out to all five boroughs. That's the key Very to growth true. in New York City for the next five or ten years, and I'm the only person running now that has that background in entrepreneurship, in the growth economy, in education that can really deliver on this grand vision for growth for our city, but not just for the few, but for everyone. We are speaking with Jack Hittery, who is running for mayor of New York City in the on the independent ticket, but you're also running on um, – Sort of another well, we have our party well, called Jobs and Education. Jobs and Education. Jobs party. and Education. Yes. Oh, okay, I That's like right. that. Because those like are the two. That. Good. Those are the two critical things right now. We need jobs and we need education. I should also mention. Let's turn our that, attention to. Yeah. Uh, let me uh, just lay this out for a moment because you make a point about uh, 21st century education, Jack, that I yes. very much appreciate, and I wish I heard other people talking about that. And that's students should learn how to think not what to think. We are dealing with a highly limited way of uh, thinking, actually, and everything is memorization, and it's high-level tests, and the kids feel shrunk, and they don't feel empowered, and they're not doing what they want to do, and they stop, start dropping out of school. We've got a huge problem on our hands, and I very much appreciate that you're talking about how to think. And I think that becomes the point, the pivot for empowerment of kids. Talk a little bit more about that. 
Well, exactly. Just today, in fact, we saw some of the new numbers come out of the, our school system. As you know, we have 1.1 million kids in our I public saw. schools. It's the largest public school system in the country. We have an obligation, yeah. a responsibility to make sure our kids are prepared for the kinds of jobs of today and tomorrow. I'm the only one who's developed and built a job board. I, and I know a lot about the kind of skills necessary to get ahead right now in this economy. And we are failing yeah. our kids. Our math scores are English scores, check them out today, what came out today. We're not doing well in these areas. We have a high failing, level of unemployment. Failing. Yeah. yeah. We have a high level of unemployment I saw the numbers. Yeah. In, in our young people. The majority of people are unemployed in New York City under the age of 25. They're under the age of yeah. 25. So we're letting our kids down. What we need is exactly as you pointed out. We need to transform our K-12 from one that is exam-based and test-based, skills that are really not necessary. That's not the skills that our job marketplace is asking for. I don't know yeah. of jobs in our marketplace today, Mitchell, that say, hey, we want you to take tests all day. I don't know of such a job. Okay? <laughs> right. um, uh, I'm right. sure at, at, at Blog Talk Radio, they don't have such jobs, right? What they That's want, right. What, what, what the CEOs want is our people, our young people coming into the marketplace that have problem-solving skills, self-directed skills, team-based skills, communication skills, basic exactly. mastery of technology, understanding how technology works. You don't have to become a computer programmer, but you need to know how technology works. We're failing That's our kids right. in all these areas. But here's the good news. I agree. Look at a public school like Eastside Community. Look at a public school at 1st Avenue 11th Street called Eastside Community that is taking kids in this new direction. When you go to Eastside Community, you will not find hours and hours of kids sitting in 25, 30 desks listening to lecture after lecture. What you will what you find, find are kids working in small teams, kids working on self-directed projects. You will find every three months adults like yourself, myself, the listeners listening to us right now, you mm -hmm. will find them coming into the classroom and giving adult constructive feedback to the portfolio of work. It's called a portfolio-based school or a project-based school, and, they, and the adults give feedback from the sixth grade on to the 12th grade. Mm. And so these kids, imagine how college-ready they are, how job-ready, how life-ready they are once they hit 10th, 11th grade, having gone through a few years now of give, getting constructive feedback from new adults that they meet, working in small teams, solving problems. Yes, using textbooks, but using them to inform their projects. So they see the goal in mind. They see why they're getting this knowledge. They see how it applies to the real world. Let's actually teach the real world not to the test. And, and that's yes, so indeed. important now in terms of moving Very away from a testing culture more towards the real world culture, the culture that actually helps exactly. kids prepare for the kind of jobs. And by the way, for internships as well, making sure kids when they go in to get that internship, they are prepared because they have worked in similar settings. It is so critical right. for them to apprentice in to great companies around New York City. We have so many of them at all kinds of levels that we're not tapping those enough. I want to see more partnerships in internships That's to get sure. our kids the real-world knowledge that they need. Well, I'm really glad to hear that, and I want to underscore something that you are implying in your position about education that hasn't been made explicit, but I'd like to. First of all, I just want to say here at A Better World, Jack, A Better World Radio and TV, and we are also involved in a number of green initiatives as well, local and actually 
global. Uh, we have had interns from NYU, from Hunter, from Cooper Union, from School of Visual Arts and beyond for years, and I really encourage it, and the kids feel that they get real-world education here that they will never get in their academic environments, and uh, they have thanked me over and over again for giving them the kind of orientation and education, entrepreneurial and just thinking on their own, out of the box that they get here at A Better World. So you can list me among those of your uh, Bingo. companies you know exactly that will be looking. About. Yeah. You bet, exactly. I know. But I want to make another point here that you are implying, but I want to make explicit for our audience. We have, of course, what we call the intellectual quotient, which is our IQ. But we also know through the great work of Dr. Daniel Goleman and others, the EQ or EQ. the emotional intelligence. And what you are talking about here when you talk about encouraging peer-to-peer -peer and team-based learning is something about our social skills, which is every bit as important and in some ways even more important, ask Henry Ford, about having these to be a successful entrepreneur and you are bringing that forward and I don't hear honestly the other candidates talk about that they don't even seem to have the notion about emotional intelligence playing in our school and that leads then of course to character building and integrity building without which you have nothing you could be the smartest brainiac or geek in the school but if you don't have character and integrity development You've really got a whole lot of nothing. It's exactly right. You, one, if you don't mind exactly right. being plain spoken about it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're, we're not right. hearing from the other candidates. Um, I'm the only one talking about these issues. I'm the only one with a plan to actually transform our schools to bring up and nurture the EQ and IQ of our students because yes. I've been in the bunkers. I've seen how people can actually get jobs. I've seen that we need creativity. And that's why, for example, yes. I have a plan to fully fund arts in our schools. I want to fully fund oh, arts in our schools, not, not because – not only – yeah, not only because arts are great, arts are great, but we need arts along with science, tech, engineering, and math, which are called STEM. We need to put the A back in there to call it STEAM. STEAM is what's going to drive this engine. STEAM is going to drive yeah. the engine because, yes, it's great to have technology skills. It's great to have engineering skills. But you know what? Without the creativity, it's not worth much. You need oh, to be exactly. creative at work. When, when you're faced uh, as somebody working on, say, an architectural project as an engineer or architect, when you're faced with an issue as a doctor, with a patient, when you're faced as an issue as a lawyer, with a client, you need that creativity to step in so you can take that extra length for that client, exactly. for that patient. And so that okay. creativity is so important that we nurture. Right. And, how, and people say, Jack, how are you going to support that? How are you going to fund that? Well, guess what? There's a lot of money in the budget that we're allocating now, again, to the 18th century paradigm of testing and memorization. Let us shift exactly. that over. I, here's the good news. We there don't have go. to add more you know, to the budget. We've got it in the budget. we just got to move yeah. it over to things like the arts. We used to be at $65 a kid per, per year in terms of our public school kids for arts. We're down to $2 
$2 oh per student my. per kid per year. What can you buy for $2? Maybe a crayon? Yep. I mean, it's like you, we, we've got to get <laughs> right. back there. We've got to get back there. Exactly, exactly. I want to move us on because of time, and uh, we have a fair, fair amount to cover here. I know you're an environmentalist. I very much appreciate it. Do you have any plans in hand, and if you don't, I'll give you one, about closing Indian Head Nuclear Plant and um, and upgrading, up-leveling our uh, entire energy policy to one that is renewable and sustainable? Sure. Having an aging nuclear plant so close to the city makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. Miles. Yeah, yeah it, it really makes no sense. It's an aging plant. We need to move on from there. Uh, here's the good news. We now know how to save energy. The number one thing we have to look at in our city is that 74% of the greenhouse gas emissions of our city come from our buildings, our buildings. Yes. And so here's the good yep. news about that. Let me tell you the good news. The and energy consumption. Energy consumption. Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, the energy consumption is built into that greenhouse gas. So here's the good news. Buildings are easy to take down the energy level of. We can build in energy efficiency into all these buildings. I'll give you a few concrete examples. Let's take bulbs. Right now, the majority of the bulbs in our, in our different buildings are either fluorescent or they're incandescent bulbs even. There are now LED bulbs. The price of LED bulbs has come down dramatically, dramatically yeah. in the last few years. And so the payback is going up replacing old bulbs with new bulbs. And as we know, the country is phasing out incandescent bulbs, uh, and we're putting in LED bulbs. So that's Phased just one out. example. Yeah. Yeah. And second – That's excellent. Uh, that's excellent. Second, let's look On at On that HVAC. note, let me just yeah. tell you, I'm, I'm connected to an LED project based on photovoltaic, which takes it even to another level. We'll talk sure. about that offline. Yep. Yeah. Happy Please to. go on. But let's also sure. look, for example, at our infrastructure. Uh, we need to not only save energy, we need to have a resilient energy infrastructure. So let me give you two examples. In Hurricane Sandy, what were two of the things that went out that caused massive safety and public issues? The fact that the street lamps went out and the traffic lights went out. That is unacceptable yeah. in a modern city. But you know what? We can take a lesson, a page uh, in terms of lessons from developing countries. They don't mm -hmm. assume the grid will always be up. And so you know what they do? They implement street lamps and traffic lights with small solar panels and a battery yep. to go with it so that it actually yep. is an off-grid traffic light. It's a traffic light That's that gets its electricity from the sun and from its storage house of battery that lasts five to seven days. And guess what? The economic payback on that is under three years. So first you get the economic payback because you're saving energy. Second, you get the resiliency payback so that if we ever have a disaster like that again, we will have the yep. lights up and on without any hiccup. The resilience or rather, is when so we important. do. When we yes. do. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We know these disasters come on a periodic basis, and so we have to prepare right. ourselves. Trying to strengthen everything and make believe that it never goes down, that is putting your head in the sand. Um, instead, we have to look at the best of models, which are resilient models, uh, models like the Internet itself. Why does the Internet never go down across the world? Because it's built in a resilient, redundant manner. We have to do the same thing with our street lamps, with our street lights, with elevator banks. For example, it was so difficult and so life-threatening for so many elderly individuals who were stuck in those buildings during Hurricane Sandy. We need to put large-scale systems inside our buildings to make sure there's enough power at all times 
for the elevators to get to the elderly to make sure they're not without medicine, not without care, not without food and water. And so these are basic, basic things we need to invest in. But here's the good news. The good news is we get a return economically right away from the fact that we can reduce our need for grid electricity. And guess what? Then our grid is actually more resilient. We can reduce the need and demand on the grid. We'll We'll be a cleaner city have to burn less fuel. And so there's a lot of benefits from investing in this kind of environmental technology. You're absolutely right. And I sought to introduce these ideas and the economic soundness of it to New York City, Jack, 25 years ago. Well, you were way ahead of your starting time. Starting in great. the late 80s. What? You were way Excuse ahead of me? your time. Way ahead, but now the world is catching up, and I'm glad of it. I'm glad of it. So we're going to have a lot to talk about. Let's talk about, and you did mention the elderly. You mentioned you implied health care, and I also want to know what you would be doing about the serious problem and issue of homelessness and shelters in New York City. Health care, first of all. What would you be sure. doing well, about health care? Well, let's look at health care. Um, one of the areas that I studied uh, during my studies is schizophrenia, mental health, um, mental health is something we have to start talking about. Yeah, we have to start talking about mental health. Mental health is important. Um, the fact is, when you look at um, projects like Project Hope, looking at victims of Hurricane Sandy, uh, people still have traumatic, traumatic experiences from that. I met a family in Far Rockaway uh, where the wife uh, of the family is still traumatized. She has nightmares. Uh, they were in the house during Hurricane Sandy. They were not able mm. to get out, and they were on the third floor of their house. The water was rising. She was traumatized during that event. She's still seeking therapy for that. We need to be open about these things. We need to get out in the open. This is nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be embarrassed That's about. Right. We need to have an open dialogue in our society around mental health. It also Mental health is also affecting many of the homeless. As you pointed out, we continue to have a homeless issue. We must get this out in the open. We must openly discuss the need for mental health. It's critical that we inform and educate. And again, I want to return to the community centers. We must make sure that Are you that a candidate centers- that wants the city to use some of its resources to help the neediest of our city? Or do you think they should just sort of buck up and do it somehow or another on their own? No, of course, we, we need to make sure that when it comes to mental health, we're providing those kind of services. This is a critical investment for our city because you want to make sure that people have the proper resources. Um, you, ha- you want to have helplines, confidential, anonymous helplines that people can call confidentially when they have issues, when they have issues of addiction, yeah. issue, other mental health issues. You want well, to have Well, some of clinic- that does exist now. So are you talking about sort of empowering it and beefing it up a little bit? Well, we have to not only empower, we also have to make sure, again, when we see a disaster coming, when we know about disasters, when a disaster does strike, either you know, uh, human-made or, or natural disaster, we need to beef this up. I was on the ground right after Hurricane Sandy in Staten Island, and I've got to tell you, I didn't see the mental health preparedness. I didn't see the yes. fact that we were there with enough counselors. I didn't see that. Now, sure. again, maybe they were somewhere else. I've got to tell you, I didn't see that. I put a call into the Red you Cross myself in D.C. because yeah. I didn't see it. I spoke to friends of mine, and, and they didn't see it either. I went to Far Rockaway. I didn't see enough mental health preparation. We need to have ramping up so that we can call upon additional burst forces 
to, to address these mental health issues, not just in the days and weeks after, but again, this can go on for months and months and months to make sure we can get our people the help that they need. So that's Are mental you, health. Let's talk about physical by health. By the ahead. sound of it, by the sound of it, uh, and based on your kind of a green initiatives and the way you're thinking, it would make only sense that you would also be very attuned to holistic and natural approaches and self-responsible approaches to health care. And well, you, one you, of the issues have, yeah. is the school lunches in the cafeterias in the, in the schools across the city are feeding garbage to our kids. And you put garbage in and you get garbage out. It leads to the obesity issue. It leads to the diabetes issue. And it leads to lack of clarity and foggy thinking. So, I, you know, a lot of health care can be handled by oneself and in one's own family or through school lunches as well, where the food is actually real instead of GMO'd, hormonized, and infected as we have our systemic agribusiness-style food. What do you say about that? Well, first of all, you know, if we go back to Hippocrates, you know, let food be thy medicine, medicine be thy food. <laughs> Let's do that. So that's, yes. that's number one. So food is absolutely essential uh-huh. and making sure we have access to healthy food. There has been some improvement. Let me acknowledge there's been some improvement in terms of school food in the last 10 years, but we need more choices. We need more choices. Yes. I'm glad to see yes. that many of the soft drink providers have voluntarily started to remove the soft drinks from the schools. It's a good step. It's a step in the right direction. Yes. So there's been some yes. progress there. Let's acknowledge that when it does happen. But we need sure. more choices. And we also have to, again, make sure that we don't have food deserts across New York City. There are still many places in New York City where you cannot easily access healthy produce, healthy food. We have to make sure we get healthy food yeah. to all these areas. We do not want to have food deserts in New York City. That's a major issue. But let's look again at not just um, mental health, which I think is very important. After all, I'm trained as a psychotherapist, but uh, also physical medical care. And also let's take a look at um, the issues of the fact that there are many adults, many seniors, and many children, Jack, going to bed hungry every single night, not only across the country, but right here in the richest city of them all, New York City. How would you well, address that? Sure. This, this speaks to the following issue. One, we have many unemployed in the city, but also what's not seen as much, what's kind of invisible to many, is the underemployed. Mm-hmm. These are individuals yeah. and families struggling because they, are, they have employment, so they cannot go to get unemployment benefits, but they're underemployed. They're really struggling to make ends meet. And this is a, this is a major issue. We have not provided yeah. enough skills-based training to get these families and these individuals the kind of skills they need to move into higher-paying jobs. This economy is moving very, very quickly. It's changing rapidly. We need yeah. to make sure we're providing families with the kind of training they need. And that means that it has to be sometimes at nighttime. We have to make it so that People can access it. We can't ask people just to leave work and go to school for two years. That is an unreasonable thing. We can't, that's not practical. That's, that's not a practical solution to say, hey, leave your job that's supporting your family or basically supporting your family marginally right now and, and go, yes. to work, you know, go, go to school for two years and incur debt. That's not a practical solution. What right. is more practical is to say to folks, hey, 
we're going to offer more courses at night. We're going to open up our community centers. We're going to open up our public schools at night. These are the kinds of things and the kinds of places that we need to offer these kinds of courses. Um, if somebody's a nurse, for example, nurses, many nurses are not making huge amounts of money, but if we offer them courses to get them to be a nurse practitioner, as an example, the highest level yes. of nurse, they can now make $100,000, $120,000. They can move up very yes. rapidly in terms of yes. economic uh, purchase power. And so there's not enough nurse practitioners in the city right now. What's great about a nurse practitioner, they can serve in a hospital, they can help out and in, in, in serve in senior positions in hospitals, but they can also yes. be placed in community centers to handle routine kinds of health issues and also provide health education, vaccines, and flu, flu shots. Yes. These are the kinds of things that nurse practitioners can do uh, that often regular nurses cannot. These are the kinds of services we can provide around the city. Too many parts of our city uh, are really kind of you know health center deserts. They don't have easy access uh, to great health centers, and so That's we need to provide small I, community we'll clinics. We'll talk about uh, we'll talk about vaccines and flu shots another time. But let me turn our attention to the rent. Rent is actually a true, I mean, there's an entire political party, as you know, called, what is it? The rent is too damn high. Mm -hmm, and exactly. this is actually a very, very pressing, urgent issue for millions of New Yorkers in all the boroughs that the rent stabilization board has been dominated by some very powerful real estate landlords that Bloomberg handpicked and placed there, and they're, um, they have no ethics when it comes to the real economy of, the New, of New Yorkers, which you've been talking about. I'm not talking about the hedge fund uh, guys. I'm talking about ordinary people, rank and file, day to day, who have their jobs at Con Edison or have you know, low- to middle-management jobs in Midtown, or what have you, secretaries, all the support staff. Nobody can afford with these increases, Jack, year by year, and they're always winning. I've been to the board meetings, and they're a mockery of the people. It's truly a mockery. What would you say to that? Well, first of all, we have not been building enough middle-income rental and low-income low rental as one example. So there's a program that was very, very good and uh, very effective called 421A. This is a program that gave incentives to build uh, low- and middle-income rental properties around the city. That has dried up. We need to re get, get that back on track. So that, and particularly mm -hmm. in the five boroughs and all the outer boroughs, we need to make sure we get 421A back on track so we get uh, developers back building these kinds of rental units. They've almost basically stopped. Yes. It's kind of dried up right now. Um, that's important. Yes. Number two, number two, let's look at public housing. Right now, there's not been much investment. Uh, there are often terrible conditions people are living in in public housing. We need to look at creative solutions such as selling the air rights and some of the parking lots and other kinds of financial solutions to getting more investment to reinvest yes. in these buildings, but also build right next to them a mixed income type of building so that we can really bring in a whole neighborhood and a whole community um, to stop the ghettoization of people. Um, and so we really need to make sure that we invest in the public housing stock, but we need to find new ways of financing that, such again as the air rights on uh, parking lots that they have or public plazas that they have. So it's, these are some of the creative solutions we need to do. But third, third, 
we need to help families who are living in the outer boroughs in particular, uh, middle class as an example, we need to help them, number one, get the skills they need to increase the pay they have at the job. It's very, very important we do so because otherwise they're going to fall farther and farther behind both in terms of rent as well as in terms of overall pay and, and skill level. It is so important that we provide that. That's the number one thing we can provide for growth in our families. We need to make sure that they can get and secure better paying jobs. New York is an international city. People can access jobs now. They can plug in to all kinds of companies around the world. But too many of our people in New York are shut out of that global economy. We need to get them plugged into that global economy so they can thrive. I understand. But I'm I'm trying to get to a key thing here, which is it always looks like a mayor will be siding either with the people, as the courts do, either with the people or with the landlords. Now, I don't like that kind of black and white thing. I like that everybody wins. But now, and it has been for 12 years and plus, that the – that the landlords are winning. I don't want to put one against the other. That's old world, old paradigm. Don't get me wrong, but it has been so skewed and with all these deceptive justifications for the increases, people are getting, and they have to move out of New York. That's what it comes to. Well, well, where listen, would you're you exactly, stand you're with exactly that? right. You're exactly right that what we've been used to uh, in many years in New York City is old party politics when it comes to the city council, when it comes to these kinds of issues. We've got to yeah. get out of old machine politics. That is what's driving the issue that you talk about. That is what's driving. That's, That's why true. I'm running on Jobs and Education Party. That's why I'm running independently. That's why we need to get out of and beyond machine politics. That's why, as you pointed out before, we're I not agree. hearing the kind of creative solutions. We're hearing zero-sum kind of programs from the other candidates. Right. I win, you lose, Makes you lose, sense. I win. It's time to get beyond zero sum and look at pragmatic independent solutions. When I become mayor, it's going to be independently so that I'm not kowtowing and not shackled and not tied to special interests. I don't want to be the mayor of the few. I want to be the for the few. I want to be the mayor for all. So it's I like really that. I think I like important that. that we go beyond the zero sum game and talk about the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. This kind of synergistic thinking is the kind of thinking that actually is driving so much of the world economy today. You look at Brazil, okay? You look at other countries where they're driving huge increases in economic uh, abilities by so many people who were poor and in poverty just just about five, ten years ago. Huge increases. And they're doing so because they're expanding literacy. They're expanding education. They're expanding these kinds of of programs. These are kinds of things where everybody wins. This is no longer have and have not thinking. So so it's it's Let me bring up a very controversial thing, which is that, uh, excuse me, no, I, I very, very much appreciate everything you're saying, and I agree with you. When you provide proper education, and needless to say, literacy and you provide training and you can get people plugged into either the job market or entrepreneurship which our you know needless to say our tax system is really designed to uh, to to support uh, and to empower but about that it is my supposition I'd like to hear what you have to say about this that there is plenty of money in New York City it's just horribly allocated and it's wasted and there's corruption and you know the entire computer IT um, uh, fiasco that occurred under 
Bloomberg's watch of hundreds of millions of dollars wasted, lost, and uh, based on essentially theft. Um, this is a peculiar kind of question, but <clears throat> with the proper allocation, Jack, of funds for the needed programs, could you possibly see even a reduction in taxes? Now, no politician ever goes near this because they always think more uh, is go, better. Oh, go yeah, well, I'll, go, I'll go near right now. <laughs> first, of all, first of all, we want to incentivize micro-enterprise. That's one of the things we want to incentivize, and only I'm talking about, yes. no other candidate's talking about that. I have the experience right. on the ground, uh, in the field, working on micro-enterprise, which again, for listeners who are, who are tuning in here, uh, is, is yes. helping low-income individuals with low-cost loans, with mentoring, with business planning, to help them start their own companies. Trickle Up, yes. Acción, these are organizations, nonprofits that are doing really the Lord's work in terms of coming into communities and helping people do these kinds of business startups. We want to incentivize yes. that kind of thing. That's a great allocation of resources and money. And guess what? Here's the good news. Some of the large banks are finally realizing this. Uh, Deutsche Bank is one of them. There's some others as well that are starting to wake up to this and say, you know what? Here's a problem. There's maybe a million families in New York City that are out of the banking system or underbanked. They're not even part of the banking system. They don't have loans. Mm. They can't get loans. They don't have credit. And so yeah. it, it, let's bring them in. And here's the good news, that after 20 years, finally, of microenterprise, many of the large institutions are finally realizing it pays for them. It pays for them to reach out to the underbanked and the non-banked and bring them into the banking system, offering them yes. new ways of on-ramping in so that they may not have the traditional credit history. They may not have that, but it's these nonprofits like Acción who've shown the way, who've led the way, who are taking their experiences from South America, from Africa, from other developing countries in the world. Well, Republic, Mohammed where, Yunus, who won the Nobel well, Prize exactly. for Peace Ramin, and Economics, you know? Yep. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And he did Grameen Bank in Bangladesh, and it's a great model. And we're applying those models. And it's all over the world. It's even in the Bronx right now, Jack. The, I don't exactly. know if you know that. Yeah, Dude, that's exactly fabulous. my point. Exactly. So yeah. I had worked with Trickle Up yep. here no, in New I York totally City. Appreciate it. Exactly. To do that here in New York, in Harlem, Washington Heights, other places like that. So it's very exciting to see that finally there are tools in the tool chest we can use to bring everyone into economic expansion, growth for everybody. It cannot just be for the few. It has to be for everybody. I also just want to mention, if I could, that I know listeners listening now may want more information about me. They may not have heard about us before. So if they want to go to jackformayor.com, I just want to mention that, that our website is up and running, and we have Instagram and Twitter Excellent. and lots of other things like that. Uh, so, yes. so people can tune Jack in to jackformayor.com. Okay. Yes, www.jackformayor.com, and they can tune in and, Very good. and, and figure out what we're up to here, listen to our videos, watch our videos, check check us out there Excellent. as well. So it's been Excellent. great to be with now, you, by the way, and to, it, to hear I have to the... ask you one last question. It's great okay. to be with you. I, this is, you know, you're you're a mensch, and this is the kind of uh, mishpucha I like. You know, you don't mind my speaking a little Chinese, do you? Um, I'm, I'm multi-ethnic. Um, Please. I, I wanted to ask. Hello? Yes, hi, I'm here. Yeah, go um, ahead. Sorry. You cut out. Go ahead. You are in a race, and you are very much in appearance the underdog, so to speak, in a race that of people whose names 
are recognized. There is name recognition when it comes to Christine Quinn. John Liu, of course, is the current controller. Well, we won't even touch Anthony Weiner, but let's talk about, you know, even Bill de Blasio, who is the, um, you know, public advocate. How do you foresee yourself actually going beyond this standard conventional machinery, which, by the way, I would like to see, and rise above the fray? Well, it's a great question. First, a lot of these people do have some name recognition because of notoriety. As you mentioned, Wiener is obviously known for things that he texted and sexted <laughs> and tweeted and so on and so forth. So I'm not sure that's great right. name recognition. Others have had issues around influence peddling, embezzlement charges, uh, allegations, things like that. So there's been a lot of name recognition around some very <laughs> negative things for many of these candidates. Um, and that yeah. is associated, again, with old machine politics, old party politics. Look, these career politicians have had their chance. We see what they're about. We see who they are. I think people understand that. I think people are ready. What we hear when I go to Jamaica, Queens, when I'm in the Bronx, when I'm in Brooklyn, when I'm in Staten Island, that we hear again and again the same mantra. People want a new choice. They want a fresh choice. They want to go beyond these party politics and, and, and basically address the core pragmatic issues. They want someone like myself who's a uniter, who's a bridge builder, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Our name recognition is rising. People on the street are now stopping me. They, they hear me on the radio like this one right here. They're seeing me on TV. Mm -hmm. They're hearing about us in print and, and online. And so uh, the name is getting out there. The word is getting out there. Our message is getting out there. Our ideas are getting out there. And I believe that come October, when most, most New Yorkers won't focus on this race really until around October. And so when, that's, when that happens, first of all, 80% of the candidates will be gone by then because we'll be post-primary. I don't have a primary. I'm going right to the general election November 5th. And again, Again, I yeah. look forward for people to engage. Listeners who are listening now, they have questions for me. They can come to our website. They can directly engage us. I'll even put my direct email out here, which is jackhittery at gmail.com, my first last name at gmail, to share that with Excellent. your listeners. And, and, sure. and give us direct feedback. Give us your direct ideas around you know, how we're doing and, and the kinds of things that we're up to. But, but basically, when we come out to October, we'll have the name recognition. The name is getting out there already. Just in the first 10 days of our campaign, we've seen a tremendous rise in terms of name recognition, people on the street, people calling in, people hearing about us Wonderful. through all different channels. So I'm very well, excited about this. Well, I heard you this. on Brian Lair. That's how I knew about you. There you go. There you go. On so WNYC. We, we really had a lot you know, of interest. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. Listen, but, but Jack, we'll have you, on, you the on the television show as well. I'll be in okay. touch with you, and we'll, we'll get that scheduled as well. A real pleasure Wonderful. to speak with you. I love to hear all that you've shared with us. Uh, I feel like it can be a, an interesting advisor to you as time goes on. <laughs> and, uh, Thank you. A lot, Thank you're you bringing a lot to the table. Absolutely. Thank you. Be well, and you'll us. join us again soon. My pleasure. Great. Take care. Bye-bye now. That is Jack Hittery running for mayor of New York City. We were not going to be giving him that amount of time, but he is very engaging, I found, and very, very interesting, and uh, is very progressive. I very much appreciate that. I mean, really looking to the old model and uh, – <clears throat> coming to a new way 
of looking at politics that's fresh, as those of you who have been listening to me on A Better World for any length of time, you know I've had presidential candidates on the show, but always independent parties, whether that was Dr. Jill Stein of the Green Party or that was Rocky Anderson of the Justice Party, former mayor of Salt Lake City. I had uh, them both on a number of times. So this is the kind of programming we like to offer the public here at A Better World, independent thinking, creative thinking, completely out of the box, not kowtowing to the ordinary machinery of our society, but really people thinking for themselves and allowing themselves to not only think, but feel what is really right for our future as a humanity and as more locally a New York City-based community. So thanks so much for joining us. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. And as you know, I will give you my private personal email as well. I love hearing from you. mjr at abetterworld.net. That's mjr at abetterworld.net. And, of course, visit us at our website where you can sign on for our newsletter if you do not yet get it at www.abetterworld.net. TV, abetterworld.tv. We, of course, have a thriving New York and New York area uh, following, but we also have a national and an international one. We have people listening from France, England, Bali, China, and on and on and on. So please tell your friends about what we're doing here at A Better World. And realize, even though we're talking about uh, the local mayoral race in New York City this coming uh, November, <clears throat> the subjects are all really generalizable to other cities across the world. We're dealing with many of the same issues of of homelessness, of lack of proper education, of lack of proper food sources, a uh, lack of jobs, lack of training, lack of proper thinking about how to reorient our values so that business is in service to people, not dominating people. That while money is important, it's not God. It is to be in service to people, not to dominate them. And when people make smart choices for humans and for the environment, when people are ethical with each other and stand in integrity, there will be plenty of money, folks, not to worry. But when people make decisions that are for the bottom line, like the end of a quarter, dividend share, and that dominates the thinking, as we see largely in the banking system, and we see largely across the board in agribusiness and elsewhere, that's where we run a ride, that's where we run amok, when money is more important than human life or our beautiful earth and environment. And it's really simple. It's not really complicated. So I really urge you to take on this type of thinking that is ultimately empowering, and it really is what you could call multiple bottom lines. That's what we talk about <clears throat> when we talk about compassionate comp capitalism, when we step out of casino-based capitalism, crony capitalism. 
It's not serving the people. It's serving the few. And one of the things I liked about what Jack Hittery said is, is that he wants to be the mayor for all people, not just the few. And that is what we absolutely need. And it's unqualified. That is what we need in New York City and in every other city across the country, as well as village and town. So on that note, thanks again for joining us. I so appreciate your joining us here every week. And, of course, you can listen to all of this in archive at abetterworld.tv or on Blog Talk Radio. And if you put my name, Mitchell Rabin, into the Huffington Post, you will be able to read my articles there as well as at naturalnews.com, a fabulous, a fabulous publication, uh, again, serving the many, in fact, all, really. And uh, visit us on our Facebook page, A Better World Media, and Mitchell J. Rabin, I believe it is, on Facebook, and follow us at Twitter as well. Again, thank you, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.